Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Welcome everyone to this episode of Authentic Leadership. And when I think about authentic leadership and people being real, you're going to find a picture of my next guest, Marion Farrelly, or Maz, as we call her. Um, She has had an amazing career. And if you've watched any reality TV show, she has probably made it. Um, She is all about helping business people find the X factor because what she thinks is that any business should be run as a show business. So she helps people find the X Factor and she actually made the X Factor and won a Logie for it as well. And she's, um, she, I, I was looking at her website before and, you know, I like to drop um, Barack Obama as a bit of a name drop for me, but she has a testimonial from David Hasselhoff. So, you know, you don't get any bigger than the Hoff. So welcome, Maz. Oh, thank you so much. Barack Obama is a very good name drop. Sometimes when I'm doing talks, I say to people, reinforce the floor. There are some big names coming your way. <laughs> love it. Love it. I might use, I might steal that for my next steal uh, speaking. I don't call it stealing. I call it sharing. Yeah, cool. Cool. Absolutely. Sharing. Hey, we're going to kick off with some really quick fire questions to get you going. Not that you need to get going because, you know, we could talk for hours. Um, where did you grow up? I was born in Wimbledon, a stone's throw from the tennis, and I grew up in South London in a place called Tooting, uh, which was recently voted by Time Out the most livable place in London. Uh, but it wasn't when I lived there. My parents had moved there uh, literally for 10 minutes because they were going to move somewhere else. And then you know what happens, you just stay. So I grew up in London, went to school in the centre of London, uh, opposite the Imperial War Museum, to a school that was a little bit like Downton Abbey. It was very posh and very old-fashioned and didn't have much in the way of relevance to real life. <laughs> and what, so if you, live, if you grew up like in Downton Abbey, what, what was your first job? Uh, well, my friends and I decided one summer that we would all try and have the worst job possible. Uh, so I worked at McDonald's in Regent Street, uh, which I thought would be a clear winner because I, I think I was earning something like 75 pence an hour. Uh, which is $1.50, and I smelt like burgers. Uh, but a friend of mine beat me because she worked in a funeral home. Oh, yeah, she wins. She wins. Yeah, I really um, thought, I've got this. I've got this. I'm getting gold. And, uh, yeah, she did the funeral home. I was so cross with her. Yeah. So where do you live now? You've, you've moved over to Aussie, Aussie land. When did that happen? Yeah. I came for three weeks 17 years ago because I come from a family of adventurers. So my parents moved here when they were 81 and 82. They moved to Bondi uh, and they're Irish. So cliche, Irish people moved to Bondi. And I came for three weeks to help them settle in and had lunch with a friend. Uh, And I'd just been running Big Brother in the UK. And my friend said, would you like to uh, work on it here? And uh, I don't want to run it because I'd quite like to have a little break. And uh, she said, well, you could produce it, be a producer. I thought, that's quite tempting. And I think it was October. And she said, if you go home now, it will be freezing. And if you stay here, we're just going into summer. And it took me about 45 seconds. And I called the company that I was going to go back and work for. Uh, but I called them in the middle of the night because I knew that no one would answer. 
and left a message saying, oh, it's Mary's. I'm not coming back, but I do have a two-bedroom apartment where I'm going to take one. So you're very welcome to come and visit me. And uh, I just got a message back from my friend just laughing, saying, yeah, I thought that might happen. Uh, and I'm still here. My car was at Heathrow for three months in short-term parking. So uh, the bill was ever so slightly more expensive than my car. Uh, so I called them up and said, so I can either lie to you or tell you the truth. What would you like? And the guy said, tell me the truth. I said, I really like it here and I'm staying. So I'm giving my friend my car keys and she's going to come and pick my car up and have it. And he said, okay, what was the lie? I said, I was going to say I'd been in a terrible action accident and that I was in traction. And uh, he went, oh, that's good. So um, I'm still here. And y your friend didn't have to pay the, the car bill, the parking bill, did she? No, we negotiated it down to 100 quid because uh, yeah. the guy just started laughing. You know, I can't believe you. I, went, I know, I didn't mean to stay, but I'm just, I'm staying. I'm here. I'm just done. So um, 100 quid, which is very good because it's like about 30 quid a day or something. So, um, yeah, it would have been a small mortgage. Mm. So take us back, Big Brother. You produced Big Brother in the UK and in Australia when it first started. So the first series was it? When it... No, I think I did uh, series three and four in the UK, and I think three, four, and five here. Mm. But when I had the first call about it, uh, my friend Ruth called me and said, "I want you to come and work on this show." Uh, and uh, you know, I think it would be really good. And I said, you know, what is it? She said, oh, it's called Big Brother. I went, oh yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new format. She said, uh, yeah. And I said, so what's going to happen? And she said, we put people in the house. I went, yeah. And uh, she said, and then we just watch them. And I said, watch them do what? And she said, we just live. I just, I don't think that's going to work. I just can't see that working. Uh, cut to the big show in the world. So uh, it's completely wrong. Yeah. So, and that's, that's what I was going to ask you because, I mean, that concept seems ridiculous. And reality TV wasn't really a thing before Big Brother, I don't think. Were you blown away with how big it was? Uh, yes, yes and no, because it is the Rolls Royce of formats. That and Survivor are really cleverly produced and it's very easy to forget that uh, show business is a business, it's, you know, worth three trillion every year. It's, uh, I think it's like the fourth biggest business in the world. Uh, it was, it was amazing for me. What I really, so what I really like about big reality shows is they employ an enormous number of people. So on an, a big night, like an eviction night, I could have 400 people working, uh, which is brilliant because you think that's 400 people who can pay their mortgage for a year, which is fantastic. And the other thing I really like about it, and particularly back then, was when I first started uh, making reality TV shows, it was a very new thing. And it was the first time that people who weren't particularly beautiful or posh or fabulously well-educated, in the UK, it was people who didn't go to Oxford and Cambridge, it was the first time they had a voice and they could be stars and they were interesting and we watched them and we saw ourselves on TV for the first time, not in a drama, because we'd seen ourselves in dramas before, but we saw ourselves just being us and it was okay. And I found that really interesting about it. And I think you're either somebody who sits in the cafe on their phone or you're somebody who sits in the cafe and looks around. And I'm a looker arounder. I'm very interested in people. And 
after watching people for so long, I say to, you know, people interview me, I say, I'm like a street fighting psychologist. Like I get people. I've probably watched people more and watched their behavior uh, more than anybody I know. Because uh, you watch people 24 hours a day and you watch what motivates them and what makes them tell you the truth and fib and argue and be happy. And I find that fascinating. And I'm not at all cynical about people. I find people fascinating and interesting and wonderful. Mm. From um, from an outsider looking in a reality TV and you see how it, you know, they edit it to, you know, create the people we hate and the people we love. Were there, were there times throughout your career in reality TV where you've had a real clash with your own values or almost saying that's not right we can't do that or you know any clash of values uh, I think one of the interesting things about making these kind of shows because I've made every kind of show I've made cooking shows and I helped create Q&A for the ABC I've done book shows so I've done an enormous range of shows uh, and I think one of the things that is really interesting about that particular part of my life is that you your values are very close to the surface constantly because most times in life you don't really have to question your values or question the extreme outcomes of your choices uh, but we do and I give everyone who comes on my shows before what well, at the first audition what I call the talk of doom uh, and uh, he's become famous in the industry Maz's talk of doom uh, but I say this to people uh, when, if you are on the show, you'll be too famous to go back to your job, but you won't be famous enough to be famous. You probably won't work for two years. You won't have an income for two years. If you kiss somebody on the show, your mum will probably get a brick through the window saying your daughter's a bit easy. Anyone you have ever slept with will sell their story. Uh, you think that you'll be the person that everyone loves, but it's unlikely. Because how many times have you been in a restaurant or a bar and you go, oh, there's that idiot for the telly. You don't think that idiot will be you but it probably will be. And you will think that we've edited you in a certain way with some sort of agenda. But here's the thing. Someone of you will win a million dollars. I won't. So I don't care who wins it. I don't care. I mean, I'd like none of you to win it. I'd like to take it home myself. However, the format demands that one of you wins it. I don't care. If you don't get drunk, I can't show you drunk. If you don't fight someone, I can't show you fighting. If you don't kiss someone, I can't show you kissing. If you do it, we'll show it. Because that's honest. And if I don't show it, that stops being reality and it becomes my story. And it isn't my story. It has to be your story. So I'm very clear with people. Uh, there are, on the shows I make, there are too many people involved for you ever to edit someone in a way that's dishonest. And also there's no interest in it. If you cast people that are interesting and good, uh, good TV, if you cast interesting people, you do very little with them. It's like the ingredients of a brilliant meal. Buy really good ingredients, don't do much with them. And something wonderful will happen. So I'm not a big fan of heavy, what I call the heavy hand of production. I like people to do what they do because it will always be more interesting than something we would tell them to do. And you know that in life, you know, people are way more interesting than producers are. You know, producers go from one show to the next to the next to the next. And I think there is a big problem with that because all the shows now, to me, feel quite similar. Uh, so I like reality when it's very real. 
Yeah. And it's similar. I mean, I know you do a lot of work in business, um, you know, around being real and authentic as I, as I do. And it just, even when you're talking about that, even business leaders, it's just, you know, if you, the more you, you are, the more interesting you'll be and, and stop, you know, over editing, over editing yourself really is what they're doing. Yeah. My big thing is, cause I don't make TV anymore. I consult and I uh, advise people. I do very little of it. And I use all of the skills and the techniques and all the know-how of uh, engaging audiences with corporates now and individuals. And one of the things I find quite frustrating is media training. I do love media training. And I, D, I to say to them, forget everything you've been told because what the previous person has done, and they thought they were doing the right thing, or bless them, of course, was they've made you quite vanilla. And when you're quite vanilla, I can throw a dart into a CEO conference and anyone I hit, they can be my next CEO because you're all the same. But when you're different, I can't replace you. And different is charismatic. We like people that are different. And they're the ones that really stand out. If you're different, you can't be replaced. There's no one like you. If you're like everybody else and you grey yourself up, I can replace you in an instant. And also, I talk to people about what I call sticky information, information that sticks in the brains of the people you want it to stick with. And if you're on a Zoom call and there are 30 people on that, you know, you have one thirtieth, or you have, how much my percentage? So 3%, 33% of my uh, attention. Not good at maths, I'm a wordsmith. Uh, <laughs> you need to stand out and you need to be different. If you're not, we're in trouble and you're in trouble. I cannot remember you, but you have to stand out. I have to be able to remember you. And if I can't, you're not in business. And you know yourself, I call it using the remote control on people. And you know yourself, Gabrielle Dolan, that you all have been places and someone will, you know, you'll meet someone and they say something that's so vanilla and so ordinary that you'll go, I'm just going to go and get a coffee, but I will be right back. And then you go and you never come back. Or you're at a talk and you've just switched off. You've used the remote control on that person. You've switched them off and you're just not paying attention to them. And I think my job really is to make sure that never happens. And as a producer, you do everything you can uh, with the people that are on your shows to make sure that nobody uses the remote control. And I treat everyone I meet in every company like a TV show. I think you have to be number one. And everyone mm. has to be interested in you and no one can switch you off. They have to keep you on. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and what I find is that, that that's a hard sell a lot in business because I think a lot of people don't want to stand out or they think it's too risky. Like I, I get them to, I go, maybe let's just do something unusual that will get people's attention and they feel it's too risky. Is that, is that some of the stuff you come up against where people, like they've probably spent all their career being told to fit in and not stand out as too risky is that why do you think we they don't do that more it's challenging it's difficult to put your head above the parapet because when you do people will fire at you uh but here's the thing people will fire at you anyway <laughs> i mean they really will uh if you don't stand out here's the thing you don't stand out and as a company if you don't stand out you simply don't stand out and I encourage companies to think about themselves in a different way. And I say this uh, quote uh, that is 
you know, brutally honest and true, uh, but confronting, which is, it is not my job to be interested in you. It is your job to be interesting. And that I find really resonates with people and they find it very challenging and very difficult and very scary because people think that because they write something that we'll read it. You know, if it's not interesting, I won't. And if your website isn't interesting, I won't click through. And I did some work yesterday uh, with a company and uh, they said, yeah, we have so much information on our website. You know, everything is there. I said, yes, but your front page is so boring that nobody will click through. Obviously, I wasn't quite that uh, honest. But I said, do you find people are clicking through when you look at your stats? Is there, is there much click through? No, actually, there isn't. I mean, all right, okay. Yeah, I would address that on your front page. Your front page. <laughs> your front page. Uh, so what's your clickbait? You know, I'm using a remote control on that website. It's not interesting. And this is a big company, and they'd spent a lot of money on the website. There was nothing to entice me to take that step, to take that next step, to want to get to know them a little bit better. And I talk a lot about the first minute, and it's the first minute of your engagement with anything and anyone can lead you to be the CEO. It can be, you know, the start of the next Uber, uh, or it's a dead end. And it's your job to make sure it's not a dead end. Because if it is, guess what? You're never doing any business. Mm. I, I, I have a similar quote about your interesting quote where, you know, we talked to like, again, business people are trying to communicate and influence and say, it's not their job to get it. It's not their job to get it. It's, it's your job to help them get it. And if they're not getting it, if they're not understanding it, then do something different to make them you know, get it and understand it. So um, I, I love one of the things I love about you that you, you, you are a straight shooter and you say it as, as it is. Who, um, who's been the biggest influence on your life? Like, is, is there someone that gave you that value or skill set or what it is? Who's, who's influenced you? Um, I don't know. When I was young, there weren't that many female role models, really. You know, it wasn't a case. It was very much a case of what you can't see, you know, you can't be. Uh, in TV, you know, I was, I spent a long time being the most senior woman in each room, uh, which I used to find really disappointing. And I would, uh, point out to everyone and say, okay, so is this just, you know, is this network just for men? And they go, no. I go, all right. Because it is all just men here. And that is not a dig at you, but it's just, if you were running a Spanish network, I think you'd have some Spanish people in the room. Would you? Would you want them in the room so you could say, what are Spanish people interested in? Because then they can tell you. But what I find a lot is you're telling me what I'm interested in. And I think you could really broaden your audience, actually, if you had lots of chicks in the room. And this was, you know, 15 years ago. It was a very, very different world. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, well, I mean, when I met you, I found you very inspiring. Because that was the first, it was at the beginning of me leaving TV and wanting to do this. And when I spoke to you, uh, I left and I met some friends that night. It's a really interesting woman. I was between you and Jane Anderson. So I mean, literally, prime real estate. <laughs> We're the luckiest person in the world. And uh, she said, I'm the LinkedIn lady. I thought, what do you mean? She said, I, I just, I talk about LinkedIn and it was just, you know, a while ago and uh, you know I help people with their LinkedIn profiles and I thought my god that's a job 
that's incredible. And I spoke to you and you said, uh, I use storytelling for business. Uh, and for me, that was amazing because I think the whole, I think life is storytelling. I think everything in life is storytelling. And when you tell a story very well, you know, we know in TV, it changes government policy and it starts national conversations. And, you know, we've made TV shows that have definitely done that. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Good stories change the world. And you look mm. at Susan Ball, she's an okay singer. She's okay. She's not great. And when I do talks, uh, I used to do this talk, uh, How Susan Ball Can Help You Get a Job. It's all about storytelling. And the reason she's famous is because of a guy called Ben Thursby. And Ben is a producer and he is a director and he's amazing at telling stories. He's amazing. And when you look at the Susan Ball clip, if you open a little glass of wine tonight and look at it, you'll realize that she says she's a good singer. She said, I'm going to take the roof off this place and show them, you know, what great singing is. I want to be like Elaine Page. Elaine Page is a great singer in the UK. She said, I'm going to really, I'm going to rock it. But everyone else is saying, she's no good. She's no good. And the judges are laughing at her. And Simon says, where'd you come from? She can't remember. And they could have edited that out, but they didn't. And they take back shots of her. Everything in it is a story. The music is like clown music. And everything is saying, she's rubbish, she's rubbish, she's rubbish. And because we are street fighting psychologists, we understand audiences, we understand people. So we would put her on, when people are a bit tired, we'd have four middle-aged ladies who look like her, who can't sing on before her. And by the time she walks on, and you just think, oh, no, not another one. Oh, God, this is awful. And she starts to sing. She sounds like an angel. And she is like that first sip of wine on a Friday when you've had a really tough week. And it tastes like an angel crying on your tongue. And that's what she is like. And really good producing and understanding audiences and understanding how to tell a story can change everything and she went from being completely unknown on friday to being on oprah on monday and that is the power of an amazing story mm. yeah i was actually getting goosebumps because i remember watching that live and just it was just yeah taking me back it's every i do this thing i call them um, susan ball bingo and i say to people uh there are three elements to every story and it has taken me a very long time to work this out but you know i did it every day of my life so you know, you get good. Uh, you have to make people laugh. You have to make them cry. And when I say cry, make them care. So you have to engage me and make me care about the people. If I don't care about the people, I am not engaged in your website, your story, your company, your TV show. And you have to surprise me. We love surprises, which is why we wrap presents and why we have so many reveals on shows. You know, look at this room. It's a gold bathroom. <gasps> Now, they could have introduced Susan Boyle and said, Susan Boyle, great singer. She comes from Scotland. She's won loads of awards. She's a really great singer. Please welcome Susan Boyle. There's no story in that. There's no surprise. There's no comedy. Look, care about her. But you do care about her. I live with my cat. I've never been kissed. I come from the wilds of Scotland. You know, I really, really, really want to do well tonight. And you're just going, she's going to be awful. She's going to be awful. She starts to sing. And play bingo. Watch it back. Play bingo. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It will surprise you mm. over and over you, and over. 
what you just said then reminds me of I think where businesses struggle and, and, you know, leaders in business is they focus on the facts. Like, you know, his is more good singer, won awards, lives, blah, blah. So all facts but boring because it doesn't tap into emotion. Um, I, in my in my line of work, I often, you know, talk about stories and people go, yeah, we've got a story. And I go, that's a case study. It's a case study. There's no emotion in it. It's not engaging. It doesn't, you know, get my attention. It's a case study. Um, yeah. And I think that's what you summed it up perfectly. We, I don't know. We, we feel like it's business, so we can't entertain. We can't, you know, get in emotion i think gradually businesses are coming to be very very more aware of the importance of engagement and emotion yes everybody take this really seriously if you are not entertaining your clients your audience your board you are going to fail and this is the biggest thing i can say to people if you are not engaging i am not engaged it's so extraordinarily basic and people think that their audience is not my audience you think when my product is available or in the old days when i used to make tv shows my product outsold every product available in the marketplace every time it was available every single time now if you imagine you're an insurance company and every time your product is available you're number one because that's a big figure to have so we completely understand audiences and I did um, some work with the, the government, uh, it was last year, the year before. And after our first meeting, as I was on my way out the door, someone said to me, um, can I just check, what else do you do? Because I think it was media training or something. They said, what else do you do? And uh, I started, well, interestingly, I get people to vote for people they don't know and outcomes that don't affect them. And I charge them money to do it. And they do it in their millions every week every week and you could see this light bulb going off above me you go you think your audience is not my audience and it is and the reason so i'd say this to you beautiful gabrielle can you think of three uh three quotes or three mission statements from three politicians from anywhere in the world from any time in history so it could not be more open so I'll give you the first one, uh, make America great again. So give yeah. me two others, the mission statements for the election as they were going into an election, three from any point in history, from anybody in history, from anywhere in the world. Uh, yes, we can, from my mate Barack. Yeah. <laughs> um, was I have a dream, one of them? Well, it, well no, that was sort of, a, yeah. No, that wasn't a political thing. Um, I know, but you shouldn't. Oh, oh. just struggling. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, this is this is to run the country, mm. and you can't come up with a mission statement that engages mm. an audience. Any politician. So I'm giving you everybody who has ever been a political leader yeah. anywhere in the world from history. Um, what can is going on with one. your messaging? Mm. We can remember mm. one. The reason Trump is in power, I think, is because Trump has been on TV. He understands audiences. He understands if you say it over and over again. If I said to you, you know, give me, you know, five quotes from uh, reality shows, you, you know, it's time to go. Uh, you know, you have the X factor. You you're know, fired. this is the voice, you're fired. I mean, you can remember them. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? You think people are not using 
the power of storytelling and they're not thinking about themselves as TV shows. And if they don't, they are going to fail. And unless Biden comes up with a great line and a great story and something that makes you like him, and if he's funny occasionally, he is not going to beat Trump. And he just, yes, we have to, we have to do something. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, oh, story, companies and politicians need to understand uh, that audiences are only interested if they're interesting. Yeah. I agree. And I think, I think that's great. If you like, regardless of how big your business is, how small, whether you're just an individual leader leading your team or leading organizational change, how do you entertain people? You know, how do you engage them and how do you tap into emotion to make them care? And I think if you, you know, you know, let's, let's spend more time on all those E words instead of logic and data and, you know, which of course you still need, but it's not not making it interesting. But when people say, you know, 85% of, you know, 13 to 17 year olds uh, in the demographic of the pursuant of the, you think, gone, I'm gone, I have no idea. (laughs) You know, if you said, imagine uh, half the MCG. Yeah. Oh yeah, I get that. Yeah. Mm. Just tell me a little bit of a story about the facts you're giving me. So the world is either information or it's an ad. And an ad is sexy information. So you can give me information, it's not going to stick. I'm not going to hear it. I'm not gonna, I just am not interested. Or you can give me sexy information, which is you know, an ad. And I am engaged because you're telling me a story. It can be a really short one. And you're surprising me. And I'm listening. And when we entertain, we engage people. When we engage people, they will take action. And on TV, we're entertaining. And it doesn't have to be jazz hands. You know, Q&A isn't jazz hands, but it's very entertaining. It's, informative it's challenging it gives people a voice you know it's a bit different you know it's a very good show it's still going you know 10 years on i'm very very proud of that because uh, you know it's employing people for 10 years uh, and you know we get it we understand that to engage an audience you have to be entertaining and then when they're engaged you can get them to take the action you want whether it is to give you a job give you a place on the board buy your product whatever it is they're on your side and you need to get them on side. And the businesses that understand this will be the businesses of the future. And the others, I'm very worried for them. I love, um, I love the Brene Brown quote, my favourite Brene Brown quote, because she's a scientist, right? So she's a scientist. So she's all about the data. And um, she has this beautiful quote on stories. And she says, perhaps stories are just data with soul. And that's, a, and that, you know, this is coming from a scientist. So she, yes, she can have the data, but stories stories of the soul that's what we, what we sort of connect and engage with. absolutely i did a lot of and work with them scientists last year the year before uh just because they realized they uh were not engaging <laughs> they were giving us facts and no one cared but they were doing this amazing work mm. but i would also say this uh brené brown is famous because of one thing one 10 second moment in her career and it is the element of surprise so make me laugh make the cry surprise me she made us care about her she told that lovely story and she made us laugh a little bit but the moment that she became Brene Brown and not just another person with a few slides was when she produced that beautiful moment where she said she was talking and I haven't watched it for a very very long time but she was saying you know I came up with this data and I was um, analyzing it and I thought that it was this, and then suddenly it was this. And you know what happened next? And she clicked a slide and it said, breakdown. 
And we all went, oh, wow, she's had the breakdown. Now, if she had said, and she didn't have a producer hat on, and she said, uh, so I did all this data and I looked at all the data and it really didn't uh, say anything that I thought. And I had a bit of a breakdown and, uh, you know, my husband said, take a bit of time off and just no one would know who Brené Brown is. Mm. Brutally. She is, she would be another lady who is brilliant with brilliant ideas, but she would be invisible. But that moment was such a brilliant moment because she produced it and she made us care about it and she surprised us. We all went, oh! and if you can do that with your audience, they're listening and they're engaged and you're in business. And that is why Brene Brown is Brene Brown. Yeah, like she made us care, that's for sure. Yes. Hey, um, gonna change tack a bit to current moment. We're all in, we're all in COVID. Uh, what's been the silver lining for you with Someone has, someone has come to, <laughs> come to the door. table. I called. Hey, you know what's been a silver lining for me at COVID? You need to go get it. Is the amount of shopping that just gets delivered to your door. That's I love so it. funny. I did say to them, don't come between uh, 1.30 and 3 o'clock. Go get the table. You sure? Go get the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should are you okay to hold or shall I right, uh, stop go. this and come back? No, you just I'll be probably five minutes. Take the phone out. So we could edit. We could edit this or, you know, I could just keep talking and recap on what Maz has told us and not have to edit it. Be right back. Oh, they went back. See, uh, see Maz, I was going to say that I'm not even going to edit this out. I'm just going to keep talking. I, uh, fun fact with Maz, she's mad as hell, but I love her. Um, absolutely fabulous. Remember the TV show, Ab Fab? One of my favourite, favourite, favourite TV shows of all time was actually based on her agent was based on her agent can you believe that yes, so she yes, is, yes. Um, oh, she's back oh, taking a see, see she looks like she's out of absolutely fabulous doesn't she she's going crazy i'll be i'll be five minutes okay i'll be five minutes i'll be right back so she she's just like patsy and eddie out of absolutely fabulous hey um i'm gonna keep chatting because i think we could chat we could edit it out, but that would be boring. That'd be a little bit boring. So um, I want to I want to pick up on a few things that Maz spoke about with that, and um, it's her model of entertainment, engagement, and emotion, and why yes, she's very much talking about it from a show business perspective. This is such so relevant in business, whether you're a company trying to communicate to your customers. Um, whether you're a company trying to attract talented people to come and work for you, or whether you're an individual leader trying to get your team engaged or um, to drive a change, to drive organisational change. The huge amount of work I do is going in with companies around strategy and values. How do you do that in a way that's really entertaining and how do you engage them and you engage them by bringing emotion? So I just thought, don't think what Maz has been talking about is around show business because it's all around business as well. So Maz is, Maz is back with us. It wasn't a table being delivered. It was a bunch of flowers. So you're back. Yeah. One of your fans. Should we have a look? Yeah, One I of your fans, Maz. Flowers. We're still going that. live. Hey, by the way, Maz, That's we're fantastic. still going live. I'm just recapping what you spoke about. Oh, you're lovely. Yeah, so, um, oh, that's so sweet. It's from um, the Australian Film Institute. Oh, from Actor. I did some, um, I did a little favour for them. 
All right. Not from David Hasselhoff or, you know, check out Mez's, <laughs> check out Mez's uh, you know, David Hasselhoff, Guy Sebastian, you know, cool stuff like that. Hey, we no, were talking you about, oh, yeah, go, go, go. And it was quite funny when David Hasselhoff was here uh, and I was running the Celebrity Apprentice and I said, call me. You know, call me any time uh, about anything you need, you know, a hand with or anything, uh, you know, that you want to know. And he started to call. He was calling about five times a day. He goes, I'm in the Blue Mountains. Uh, where's good for coffee? And, okay, uh, well, there's a place in Laura just halfway down on the left-hand side. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, I was kind of looking at my phone. Oh, it's David Hasselhoff again. My friends were going, is David Hasselhoff on the phone? I said, I know. Do you mind if I just take the call? And they'd be like, what's the Hoff doing calling you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Bizarre, but true. Yes, very strange. It looks like it. Stay with it's us. It's so life. annoying. I wish you would stop calling me. You have got a strange <laughs> life. So silver linings. We'll talk about some silver linings from um, COVID. What's, what's one for you? Uh, I think it's been realising how much my friends mean to me. Uh that's been really beautiful. I'm out, I've always been someone who really values friends, but I think I value them so much more now. Uh, it's been a nice time to catch my breath a little bit. Uh, and my lovely friend Alison said the other day, you know, when fishermen can't go fishing, they mend their nets. So let's take a bit of time and mend our nets. Uh, I think I really like change. I've lived a constant life of change. Uh, you know, you make one show and then you make another one and then you're doing development and then you're doing some training. And so everything is different. I've never had a time of day when I've gotten up at the same time or gone to bed at the same time. Sometimes, you know, I made um, an AFL show and we shot at Etihad and uh, we were only allowed there at a certain time of day. And sometimes it would be four o'clock in the morning. So you'd be up at two and, you know, you'd have a shower and you'd, so it's been a constant time of change. Uh, so it hasn't affected me that much. It's made me change my business, obviously. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. It's just the thing. Yeah, I know. It's a good thing. Hey, talking about change, one of the things I like to ask people, if you could change one thing about you, what would it be? I'm suspecting you might say nothing, but I'm going to, you're not allowed to say nothing. If you could change <laughs> one thing about you, what would it be? Uh, it would probably, I think, well, I would have done my new job an awful lot earlier. Uh, that would be, I don't really have regrets mm. uh, because everything I've done, I've considered it and, uh, you know, made some you know, terrible decisions, but they weren't really because they were just decisions. So they weren't right or wrong. They just were. Uh, and, you know, I would say to people, everything I've done, you know, I stand by it. Uh, but probably the only thing I would have changed would be to start my new business a little bit earlier. Uh, but I'm really comfortable in my skin. I'm very pragmatic. I think this is me and I'm just doing my best. That's all I've got. And I try to be a very good friend. I try to be, you know, a nice sister and a nice daughter, and, you know, a nice auntie. Uh, don't get it right all the time, but um, I do give it a really good crack. So I'm pretty comfortable in my skin. And I, I spent, uh, when I did The X Factor, I worked with Mel B. And she's one of my favourite people I've ever worked with. I really, really like her. And she was just herself all the time. And you know, people say what you see is what you get. And you really did with her. 
And I remember sitting with her one day and saying, how do you have the confidence when there are 2,000 people booing you to turn around and just go, shut up, I'm right. Because it's a big deal. And she said, do you know, it's just my opinion. And she said, you just employ me to give you my opinion, that's it. And it's just my opinion, that's it. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's just my opinion. And I thought, oh my God, that's so clever. That's so simple, but so clever. And we get very tangled sometimes. And she's not tangled. She's very clear about who she is. And she's just very honest and it's mm. charming. And we like people who are honest. Yeah. So I feel like I, I need to ask you a question about Inside Goss. What, who have been some of the people you've worked with like that, that have just been, that you've just loved for their honesty and you know, what you see yeah. is what you get type thing? Most people that are really successful are very, very lovely people. They're very smart uh, and they're, you know, they're very, very, very successful. And the reason for it, I think, is you just don't really work with people who are idiots. If anyone is a nightmare, uh, you don't book them. You don't want to work with them. And the industry is really small. So, you know, you have to be lovely. And sometimes people who are new to the business, we sort of get a little bit of attitude to, you know, my team and uh, I sort of take to one side and say, look, you know, I don't want to be your mum, but I'm going to be here because all of these people that you're being a little bit attitude with, when we finish this show, they're going to go off and work on another show and your name will come up and they'll say, difficult. And if five people say that, that's the end of your career. And these people are decision makers. These people decide whether you have a career or not. And I say to people a lot, be very nice to everyone on the way up because like Trump, they could go up and up and up. When um, Trump became uh, president, uh, I texted Mark Boris and I just said, oh, is it you next? <laughs> Was I always nice to you? <laughs> Because he, he did The Apprentice in Australia. He did The Apprentice, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. Hey, um, do you have a favourite quote? You've, you've pulled out a few quotes in this interview. Do you have a favourite quote that you sort of live by more than others? Uh, not really. I don't. I have a deep hatred of um, cliches and cliched language. It's, it really annoys me. Uh, very much and I do this thing with companies that I call the boring audit where you go through uh, all of the things they've written and uh, we is that you'd be like me the jargon you just pick up the jargon and you go what is that crap I call it white noise because it's this sound that's what it sounds like you know I'm uh, gonna give this 110 cents not my time to go I really want to win this I'm nervous but excited and I ban them from my shows i put them on the wall of the edit suite and i say you're not allowed to use any of this uh and when i do talks i say to people you know what do people say on reality tv and they repeat it back to me it's okay now what do people say on linkedin they say this i am an experienced passionate dot 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 with 12 years experience of dot 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 now it doesn't mean that you were good at it, it just means you did it for a long time and it makes you sound like everybody else. So when you sound like everybody else, see previous, I can throw a dart at the wall. And I give them a very fine example, one of my favorites, uh, which is a guy in the UK who was a very passionate medic for 40 years. And his name was Dr. Harold Shipman. And any Brits who are listening to this will remember him. Uh, 40 years, 
He was a practitioner. His people loved him. And towards the end of his career, and slightly bringing about the end of his career, someone noticed, a lady in a funeral home, that lots of his patients were dying. And he was uh, Britain's most prolific serial killer, 250 people conservatively. So when people say, I'm an experienced dot, 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 with uh, you know, 12 years passionate experience of, I say, Harold Shipman, very passionate about it for 40 years, doesn't mean you were good at it. It just means you did it for a very long time. So when people use white noise, we can't hear them. And we use the remote control and we can't hear them. And it's dull and we're not listening. So do not use white noise. It's, it's your jargon. It makes me really cross. So uh, inspirational quotes and things I don't really like, except I do have one thing in my bathroom uh, that always makes me laugh. And it says, you did not wake up to be mediocre. And I quite like that. Mm. Uh, but I think for me, I like to have a mission statement for everything I do. And on TV, uh, it would always be, uh, we are the number one show, I'd say. So everything we do goes through the prism of we are the number one show. So if someone says, uh, how are you feeling? And they say nervous but excited. The people who are number three or number eight in the ratings will say, okay. And the people who are number one will say, oh, why? And they say, well, it's my first time singing. Go, oh, why? They go, well, my parents want me to be a lawyer. Oh, why? Well, I come from a long line of lawyers. My father's a lawyer, my uncle, my mother trains a lawyer, she had me, she stopped. We're all lawyers, no one's a singer. Oh, okay, well, do your parents know you're here today? No, they don't. Are they here? Yes, they are. Oh, where are they? They're down there. Right, okay. So then we'll send a camera down to the parents and we'll say, we're just taking shots of the audience. Do you mind if we take a shot of you? Like, no, go for your life. We'll put a camera on them, put a camera on the stage. We'll chat to them and say, hey, you know, what are you doing here today? You just come to, just come, yeah. Oh, kid, yeah, my daughter uh, got me a ticket. Brilliant, is she a singer? No, she's a lawyer. Oh, right, okay. Does she sing? No. Oh, okay. You know, you here with anyone else? No, 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 just us. And suddenly, daughter walks on stage, parents, oh, bada bing. If she's good, brilliant. If she's bad, it's still a sweet story. And suddenly, you have an amazing story and you have interest. So if you're the number one show, you try a bit harder. And if you're happy to be number eight, you use white noise. And that's why you're number eight. If you want to be number one, you have to question everything. You have to be curious. And if everyone else is doing this, do that. Because if they're doing this, what's the point? Everyone's doing it. You've got to do that. You've got to be different. If you're not different, yeah. you're the same as everyone else. You're just not in business. Love it. Love it. And have the courage to be different too, which I think what a lot of people fail. Hey, we got, I'm going to end on three quick fire questions to wrap us up because <laughs> this has been a fabulous talk. Um, what is the one meal you love cooking? Uh, I didn't cook a meal until I was 40. This is absolutely true. Uh, I just didn't need to. And I was doing Ready Steady Cook and George Calabaris and Matt Lee Fidel came into my office and said, seriously, you've never cooked a meal? And I said, um, no, but I have eaten a lot. And uh, they gave me a bag with some salmon, uh, some fennel, some salt, uh, a knife, a griddle pan, olive oil, I mean, literally a lemon, 
uh, and a chopping board and they said take this home salmon you know uh, oil up the salmon and put it in a pan and sizzle and fennel and salt and lemon and and uh, that became my first meal and when I tasted it I'd never tasted anything as beautiful. I thought it was so lovely. So uh, it would be salmon and fennel, courtesy of Manuel Fidel from My Kitchen Rules and George Columbaris, ex-master chef. <laughs> yes, the ex-master chef. So I, I assume you have cooked more than that just that one time, have you? Now I love it. I absolutely love cooking. And I'm very happy to have like 20 people over. But it did start with that one meal. I had no confidence in cooking and i'd made probably about 600 cooking shows by that point but i've never actually uh, cooked a meal <laughs> what is your favorite 80s song or artist uh uh it'd be sade or grace jones because uh, I, I found them both very stylish and their style of singing was very different and uh i thought both of them were just so utterly beautiful that i wanted to look at them forever mm. Yeah, I can see I can see that in you, why you would be attracted to them. That's good. Final question, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Uh, I wouldn't because I definitely, definitely wouldn't have taken it. I'd probably, I'd probably say, do you know what, it's all going to be fine. It's all, it's all great because it has been. It's been a beautiful, fabulous, interesting uh, different challenging bonkers life and I couldn't do what I do now uh, unless I had gone through all of that and I've had times when I've been absolutely kicked to death by people and you know front page in the papers and questions asked in parliament uh, you know some serious stuff and all of it's been wonderful because I've learned so much from it and it has made me a very strong person so uh, every time you're kicked take it as a blessing <laughs> There you go. There's a quote. You got your own quote there. Oh every my god, I did a quote. Every time so uh, yeah, you can have your own quote. I like that. A quote from Let's put it on a tea towel now. Yeah. <laughs> put it on a tea towel pillow. Every time you kick, take it as a blessing. I love that. I love that. Maz, thank you. It's been an absolute <gasps> pleasure. We've covered your ability to name drop without you even knowing that name dropping is just beautiful to watch. Um, and we got delivery halfway through of flowers and we just kept the conversation going, which was really cool. Um, thank you so much. Uh, we'll put all the details of, of your website because seriously, if you're in a business out there that wants to be more entertaining, engaging and um, tap into emotion with surprise, then you need to speak to Maz because as you say, Maz, all business is show business of how you get cut through that counts. So thank you, my friend, for being part of it. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted uh, to do this because you've had such a good lineup and uh, you know I think you're a genius. So I am very flattered and it is an honour to be asked to do it and I'm delighted. Thank you very much. Thanks, Maz. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.